Welcome to your shelf. Or mine. Or mine. Hi, I'm Becky Standall, Youth Services Librarian at the Longview Public Library. And I'm Chris Scogset, Director of the Longview Public Library. And I'm Austin Brigden, Administrative Assistant at the Longview Public Library. Welcome to the podcast, you guys. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Um, so, today we're going to be talking about Jane Eyre and Wyatt Sargasso Sea, um, which we've planned for a while now. But before that, since this is Chris's first full podcast episode, he did a year, a year ago our Your Shelf or Mine Live, but this is his first time otherwise being on it. So I give him an opportunity to tell us about the kind of stuff he likes to read, watch, listen to, do. <laughs> so many things. <laughs> so many things. How much time do we have? No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, my, my reading tastes are very eclectic. I tend to read in bunches of similar types of things. So I've gone through streaks of, I read a lot of science fiction and fantasy, mystery, uh, general fiction, classics. Uh, but I also read a lot of nonfiction uh, my background in history, I read a lot of history. I don't read as much now as I used to because I had to read so much before. But I like to read about science, things things related to science. Uh, I have a burgeoning hobby or interest or passion in wine. So I've been reading recently, I've been reading a lot of books about wine. Uh, so that's kind of been the big thing I've been doing recently. So it was actually a nice break to read something different. I haven't, it's been a while since I've read fiction, and it's been several years actually since I've read Jane Eyre. So. Uh, in terms of watching things, I'm, again, fairly eclectic, uh, big things I love, TV show, I loved Firefly, um, I thought that was you know, perhaps the best show ever before it was canceled, I uh-huh. love the movies from Studio Ghibli, the anime from Japan, I'm a big fan of Hayao Miyazaki and his films, uh, so that's, that's kind of a quick, to, quick tour of what I do, um, besides working and occasionally reading, I'm, I like to hike and run. Again, drink wine. <laughs> I run wine. Um, how long have you been working at the library? Almost 24 years. I started in December of 1996. Oh, it's almost an anniversary. I'm well, getting there. What did you What did you start as? I was a. They called it then. I was a library assistant one. I worked in tech services doing processing of books. Hmm. And then what? Then. Two years later, I was uh, offered the job of uh, the Reference Information Services Librarian uh, with the caveat that I was going to go back to school and get my MLS because I didn't have it then, uh, which I did. And then in 2001, I became the Adult Services Librarian. And then in 2003, I became the Library Director. Cool. That's a pretty, like, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, kind of followed up those steps. Yeah. End up working in pretty much every department and 
Except for yours. <laughs> Not youth services. That's the I mean, you can you. you can do youth services stuff. Oh yeah, I've done. Re- I've read. Time. I've read. I've read kids to before. I've done that. Yeah, Not necessarily at the library, but I've done it other places. Yeah, school visits and stuff. Absolutely. Well, cool. It does seem like uh, longer than a year ago that we did the live show, huh? It does. I, it's like I remember it, but and it was a lot of fun to do. I mean, it was a blast, but it does seem like a long time ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe next year we can do it again. That could be fun. Hopefully we won't have to wear masks. Yeah. That would be, yeah. Well, there's, like, good news on the vaccine front, it sounds like. so. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll be hopeful. Um, last night the governor said that if we're really patient, next Thanksgiving <laughs> <laughs> will be a really good one. Patience hasn't always been our strong suit, as we've shown before. <laughs> Oh, we're doing our best. <laughs> yeah, speaking of patience, I don't know if we have have any kind of library updates to give people. Um, I don't know what's happened at the library since we recorded last. We did the Halloween trick-or-treat, and that was really fun. We had over 500 kids come through as trick-or-treaters and um, had, a, like, a line of cars out out to... The circle almost. It was like you couldn't even see where the road ended. But that was really fun. And I've been thinking of um, something we could do and drive through for the holiday season, but that's not, there's nothing to say about that. <laughs> I've been thinking about it. It's a thought right now. <laughs> it is a thought. Um, but we've still got like crafts and stuff to pick up, and um, we're working on a potential appointment reopening. Hopefully, <laughs> depending on what happens with the virus in the next couple of weeks. But, yeah, hopefully next month we might be able to open our doors on a limited basis. We would love to see the public again. <laughs> yeah. So I guess just stay tuned for that. Do you have anything else to share from the library for our listeners? I think our drive through hours are expanded since oh, yeah, the last that's true podcast too. probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so our drive we have more drive through hours now than we did before. We're open Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, 10 to 2, and Tuesday, Thursday, 1 to 4. Anything else? That sounds right. <laughs> yeah. That is correct. Well, then let's just talk about Jane Eyre. Yeah. Jane Eyre. Where do we start? There's Where no do question. we start? Well, let's start with our personal histories of Jane Eyre. Chris, why don't you start? Oh, I get to start. Goody. Uh, so I first read Jane Eyre when I was in college. Or a class, obviously, at that time. Had heard of the book before, but had never picked it up, knew not much about it. Thought it probably had preconceptions that were proven incorrect once I read it. Uh, I think there was talk around people I had talked to and things I'd read that it was, you know, a quote-unquote romance and that sort of thing. And uh, it's one genre I don't read very much of, so I was kind of like, do I have to read this now? So, but I read it, started to read it, and was hooked almost from the exact beginning of it. Uh, it's actually one of my favorite novels I've ever read. It's it's, it's an amazing book, and it's uh, why there is obviously an aspect of romance to it. It is a whole lot more than that. And uh, I hadn't, but I hadn't. I, I, I'm always nervous about rereading books when I, especially if it's something I really liked in the past, because I'm always afraid what's going to happen the next time. Because I have had times where I have reread something. And, one time in my life, I would love the, the love the book and thought it was just fantastic. And then next time I read it, I was going, "Huh, 
not must have been the place I was in my life at that time because I'm just not seeing it now. <laughs> I mean, it's still fine, but it's just not as good as it was. But I can say right now I didn't have that problem with this. But that's where I first met Jane. Wonderful. Austin? Uh, let's see. I think I read it. The only other time I've read it um, was when I was a freshman in high school. And it was not, I think like Chris, it was not something I would have picked up if somebody hadn't made me read it at the time. Um, and I, too, um, got hooked. Maybe not as quickly. I, I sort of remember struggling with it, struggling with the language at first, and then kind of clicking into it and getting really into it. And I remember really liking all the quirks of language. Um, they probably didn't seem like quirks when she wrote it, but like unclosing doors and things like that. Yeah. That's sort of my history. So um, I think the first time I read Jane Eyre um, was probably when I was like 12, um, like in middle school. And then I read it, I think, probably multiple times in high school and later. It's been, I'm sure, you know, more than 10 years since I've read it, since I'd read it until like this week. But I did read it like a lot when I was um, a teenager and I really loved it then, and it's been, like, one of my favorite books. And rereading it this time, it's funny, I think this book I read a lot. Little Women is another book that I've read even more times, where it's like I think every time I read it, there's something different I get out of it, and a different part that I like the best. But reading it this time, I was thinking, like, what did teenage me? You're, like, really like about this <laughs> book? And I think it was that it is so in her head. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, I definitely was that kind of a teenager um so i can relate to that mm -hmm. i understand that part of that that interest yeah um and then i've also read a bunch of like retellings of jane eyre there was actually in the committee reading i do for graphic novels like last year i read there's a comic book called charlotte bronte before jane eyre that's just pretty like straight biography but it really like shows all of the parallels between her and and Jane. And then this year, there's a new graphic novel called Glass Town, um, which is really interesting, like historical fiction. It's like kind of fantastical. It's based off of um, her juvenilia, her and her brothers mostly, but also kind of her sisters, too. There's less of that uh, that survives. But it's kind of like the characters that they created and the world that they created when they were teenagers and wrote all these stories together kind of come back to her later in her life and haunt her a little bit. It's really good. Mm. Oh, sounds good. Well, that yeah. sounds interesting. Yeah. You should read it. I have a copy right there. I'll bring it into the library. The <laughs> <laughs> um, usual thing, just stick it in our hands and say, here, read this. Yeah. You'll like it. <laughs> found you this. I've also read um, Jane Slayer. <laughs> that came out kind of during the height of uh, – Oh, like the, zombies. Yeah, the whole zombie yeah. and different monsters that they, yeah. And it really made me think, because it's pretty much, I mean, I guess there's probably like a, something it takes to write a book like that. But this person just like went, you know, like page by page changing some words to make her Empire Slayer. It just didn't seem like that much work to me because it's essentially right. the same. <laughs> It's easy money. The same book. Yeah. yeah. The easy hard money. book is already done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I've read, there's a teen book called Jane. I think it's just called Jane. Where, like, the Jane Eyre character is, like, an intern or something. And the Rochester character is a, is, like, a rock star. 
it was, it's fine. Um, <laughs> and then I read, I've read like The Flight of Gemma Hardy, which is a, a retelling. Oh, and there was another graphic novel that came out a couple years ago. I think that's also called Jane, and we usually have that at the library. That's by Eileen Brosh McKenna, who is one of the co-creators, co-writers of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which is a show I love. And I was like, Eileen Brosh McKenna plus Jane Eyre, it's going to be great. It, it wasn't right, but it's I, like we talked about it. When we talked about like the difficulty of taking right. the story and like trying to put it in like a contemporary setting, yeah. Rochester came off very like Christian Grey, which sure could have worked kind of. <laughs> but, well, uh, <laughs> I yeah, know. I know we had talked about it the other day. I, I just can't imagine that's a difficult task to set yourself because the forces that sort of animate the novel are so different. Marriage is different. The stakes of marriage in a modern setting are different. Religion is different for a lot of people. Like the stakes of all these things are very, very high in the novel, partially because of where they are and, and what the society is like. Um, and so you'd almost have to come up with different different stakes, Yeah, it seems like. And a lot of what makes like Rochester's whole deal like sympathetic is that he's kind of trapped by the law. Right. Like, yeah. And certainly – now you could get a divorce, like. Yeah. <laughs> right. No one would think otherwise. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's interesting. I feel like I I've read a lot of these retellings and I keep reading them and they're never very satisfying. Mm -hmm. But I'm like maybe this one. <laughs> anyway, I think, like, I think it's like the continuations to the ones that, you know. The author has died and hasn't written anything else, and they bring somebody else in to continue, uh, you know, or do the next stage in a, after a certain book, and they just – they are all, I'm never satisfied, I don't think. Yeah. There They're was just one – I think this came out, like, when I was working at Barnes Noble, so it's been a long time, where, like, the main character is the, the girl. I forget her name. Which – the – oh, Adele, is it Adele? Adele. No. Yes, yeah. where she's like the main character of the book, and it's like from her perspective and then her life. I never read it, but that was um, popular when it came out. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't think it'd be that different than White Star Gossip mm -hmm. Sea. Then it's just taking that right. character, you know, a, a character, yeah. you know, fleshing kind of like it out more, spinning it off into something yeah. its own thing. I think those kind of things are okay. I think the ones where they actually just try to continue the characters. You know, right, the like the second Gone with the Wind book? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's a, yeah, which is, was a disaster in a lot of different ways. And so, but yeah, I, I just don't think, you know, there's a reason these things are classics. There's, there are yeah. reasons. I think that's one of the things that makes the White Sargasso Sea book kind of remarkable because it's a pretty ambitious task she set herself and it could have really <laughs> been lukewarm. Um, and she doesn't – I was really curious, reading Jane Eyre, knowing I was going to read White Sargasso Sea, and knowing – wondering about the differences because one of the things that struck me so much reading Jane Eyre is that I'm somebody who reads a lot more contemporary fiction. Um, and so the differences between contemporary novels and Jane Eyre are really um, glaring. And so I kind of wondered how she would handle that if she would try to move ahead in the style, you know, Charlotte Bronte. And she really doesn't. She abandons all that. So I think that's kind of a remarkable thing that she was able to pull that off. Well, I think that's one reason why she was able to pull it off, too, yeah. was because she wrote it in her own voice, in her yeah. own way, instead of trying to, you know, be Charlotte, you know, try to channel Charlotte Bronte yeah. into this Absolutely. book. Absolutely. She didn't. She just said, 
this character interests me. I, what was, I wonder what her life was like before. Yeah. And she did, as I said, in her own way with her own language and her own background, and I think that's what made it successful. Yeah. So before we go any further, um, I realized that when we did the Shining podcast, I didn't have anybody do, like, a recap of the Shining or anything like that. We just, like, dived right in. So let's let's just do, like, a quick – I think most people know Jane Eyre. Uh, Jane is an orphan. She's left in the care of her uncle – who dies shortly afterwards and makes his wife promise to take care of her. She does it very reluctantly and ends up sending her to um, boarding school where the conditions are really bad the first winter and then they get better 10 years pass and Jane is looking for something different. She gets a job as a governess um, at this old manor house falls in love with the master what does <laughs> of that house the owner <laughs> the owner <laughs> she calls him master quite a bit on their wedding day finds out that he's married to a woman a mad woman he keeps in the attic of the house so she runs away finds dies almost dies <laughs> uh, is saved by this family the rivers family gets a job as a school teacher, finds out that the family or her cousins comes into an inheritance and um, thus situated can go back and figure out whatever happened to, to Mr. Rochester. So that's Jane Ann. Who wants to do White Sargasso C? Go ahead, Austin. <laughs> you look ready to do it. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, so White, White Sargasso C takes place a few years before, I'm not exactly clear how many years, but a few years before um, the events of Jane Eyre. So uh, it talks about in Jane Eyre that he had been married for 15 years. Okay, okay. So Mr. Rochester is a young man who ends up going to the Caribbean and sort of gets falls into, depending on which character you talk to, um, ends up in a sort of an arranged, which is kind of a financial transaction. Um, on the part of his uh, father and brother and um, this woman's brother. Um, and he's very ambivalent. And uh, as they, they go off for their honeymoon on this other island, um, and as time goes on, things about her history come out and the whole situation sort of deteriorates. How much do you want me to summarize? I mean... We're not worrying about spoilers, I assume. No. Mm-mm. Okay. Okay. Well, and she ends up, he ends up taking her back to England when it seems like her mental health has deteriorated. That's a contested thing in the book. And she ends up in the attic. It's yeah. hard. I feel like it's a harder book to summarize. <laughs> yeah, it isn't it's so straightforward. It's, it's very, yeah, it's well, very different. Well, you know, Jane Eyre follows that, you know, that um, Shakespearean comedy routine, you know, boy finds girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl. (laughs) And this one definitely does not follow anything like that. And it's a much more, and this comes comes back to the modern novel versus the sort of old style. It's much more impressionistic, much less is sort of openly spelled out. You know, in Jane Eyre, you're sort of, and that was something that I, I was really struck by reading it, is you're sort of, 
that's one of the pleasures of those kind of novels like Jane Eyre is you sort of awash in all these details and all this exposition. A lot more is contested because it's from multiple viewpoints. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Jane Eyre is more of like a, you know, Victorian, straightforward, like coming of age story where she's like, chapter one, I am born. <laughs> like, yeah. Right, right. Uh, very like, you know, David Copperfield through her life. Absolutely. And she's, right. You know, speaking directly to you as a reader and right. Wide Sargasso Sea is, yeah, like you said, different. And there's different perspectives in it, too. So, like, the first section is from Antoinette's perspective, who is Bertha. Right. And then the second section is, is that mostly? It's Rochester's and then it kind Rochester's, of switches. Rochester's, yes. And then it starts sort of switching back and forth mm-hmm. a little yeah, more rapidly yes. um, as it gets toward the climax of the novel. But it ends up in her perspective again. So it starts and ends in, yeah, her perspective. Do you think, um, like, what do you think it would be like to read it and not know that it was, like, a spinoff of Jane Eyre? Because hmm. really, it's not really until, like, the last section, which is very short. That well, you like, know, though. I mean, it's, it's got stuff about Jane Eyre all through it. Um, I don't know. It would be different. I think it's it's really. I think it could. St- I think it stands on its own, and the power of the language and the power of the atmosphere and characters do stand on their own. Um, but it changes it a lot, especially the end, because you know what's coming. If you've read Jane Eyre, you sort of know where things are headed. I could see if you read it and didn't know Jane Eyre existed somehow. You know that never came across your you know your path in that time. You could definitely read this without having. Without having read it, it wouldn't have the same, maybe say the same power, maybe necessarily, because you again, because because of you, what you just said, Austin, about knowing what was coming, you know what what's happening later on in this in this whole thing. Here, you wouldn't necessarily completely know what's going to happen to her after this fact. Well, it's just it's an interesting book by itself too, because it's just you're talking about the different perspectives, but because of and I think some of this comes from Jane Eyre. If you perceive that you know she does have mental health issues. Um, how much of what, how reliable of a you know, narrator is she? In the, right. she's actually talking for herself. Is she reliable? Is she not? You don't know because it, when you know that background of where she's headed, you sort of think, start, you start, you don't trust her necessarily her perceptions as much, either rightly or wrongly. You, and we might be wrong by not trusting her, her impressions and her thoughts. But it's hard not to start thinking, hmm, is this is this really what's going on, or is this just the beginnings of you know, the madness in her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also think, too, kind of knowing, if you go in knowing it, you also don't really trust, like, Rochester's perspective. He's a mixed up, mixed <laughs> up kind of guy. <laughs> He's a confused person anyway. And, uh... <laughs> yeah, you've really mixed, I, yeah, yeah. My feelings about Rochester are complicated. I mean, if sympathy for him and some, there's things that have happened to him, but he also does quite a bit of harm in both books. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, He's not a purely sympathetic character by any No, stage. no. But it's interesting. I was thinking more probably than I thought about it other times I've read it, How like the clear contrast between like him and do we say St. John Rivers? <laughs> That'll work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we don't really hear people like named that anymore. But, you know, how, like, he, like, they put this, like, the second romance into, and it really contrasts with, like, the first one. So, like, he's supposed to be, like, Rivers is supposed to be 
um, you know, like a really great guy. And like, <laughs> he's just awful. He's yeah. I don't know if you, can you even really call that a romance? It's like no, a weird. I, mean, it's not. I guess it's like a second, um, like proposal storyline. Yeah, yeah, it's a proposal yeah. story. Yeah, it's not, there's no, yeah, there's no romance. Not terribly there. romantic. I mean. No. By any stretch. <laughs> Maybe in his head, but it's not even that I'm romantic. I'm not sure in his, his head, head. Because I think he saw that was a completely practical. Yeah. This has, is, I need, I need yeah. someone to go to India with me, so. <laughs> You will you'll do, do. As good as, you'll yeah. do as good as anyone. <laughs> He's so mean to her. Yeah. Like, and yeah, it's funny. There's a person to live with, too. He's just, yeah. Like, well, she wouldn't be good and... to be mad. <laughs> right. Oh, God. Maniacal, ascetic kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, be, modern day, he'd probably be also the one who sits in front of the TV all day and <laughs> never talks to him. You know, there's no conversation. It's just like there's no interest. There's nothing. There's no connection at all. Yeah. No, he just wants her to, like, do stuff for him. But, um, but yeah, like, how Jane talks about, like, him, like, he's really, like, a liar because he wants to get married and he, she knows that he doesn't, like, have loving feelings um, and thinks of, like, Rochester as being, like, a really truthful person, even though, like, he lied to her, not just about, like, Bertha, but also about, like, the other woman and, like, you know, but I think it, so it's really interesting to me. I think the big contrast is like how they affect her. Like she feels like she can like say no to Rochester and she can't say no to Rivers when he's just like, now you're going to study this with me. Now you're going to do this with me. And she's just like, yeah. okay. You think that was because of the, the situation, what she had gone through already. And that's why she was being that way. Or was it the familial, you know, connection as an, you know, a male in her house, family, you know, in that, in that era, you know, tended to have a lot of control over the women in that in the household. So I don't know. And it was also kind of like the first time in her life where she had like a man that was really in control of her life. Mm-hmm. But I think it might is probably more connected to like the religious part. Right. Yeah, it seems like as I went through Jane Eyre, I kept thinking about how I think that's a, kind of at the root of her her heroism in the book is that, you know, Bronte brings us this sort of parade of different characters dealing with sort of the forces and their religion, how people accommodate themselves, you know, to these outside forces, religion and marriage and um, class. And Jane Eyre is one of the only people who sort of seems to break on the side of this herself. You know, a lot of other people are sort of, accommodating themselves to these forces and Jane ends up being true to herself in the face of, of a lot of pressures. So yeah, I kind of like saw that with Sinjin is like, he's, he's really got an interesting relationship with his religion. Um, and she feels the force of that too, but ultimately, you know, prevails. Yeah, he was like, if you don't marry me and go off with me as a missionary, then you'll go to hell. Right. I don't know about that. <laughs> There's a proposal for you. Yeah. yeah. He's like, what does he say? That's just so. He's like, you're a woman made for labor, not for love. She's like, well, I don't know about that. Yeah. I think one of the things that I was thinking as I'm thinking about what I liked about Jane Eyre this time more than probably the first time, because I probably didn't, I probably didn't catch as much, was the the repartee between the two, mm. <laughs> between Jane Eyre and Rochester, and as they, you know, they. They held each held their own against each other in terms of 
pretty much anything language related. And I thought that that was just a lot to me. That's a, I love that. I love aspects of that. I also like, you know, other books that have that kind of language use. I like movies that have that kind of language use in it. Uh, like Quentin Tarantino movies tend to have things like that, not necessarily in that romantic way, but that's still that sort of back and forth repartee that they go on. And I always, I'm always attracted to that. So that's one thing I know that I picked up even more this time when I read it. So. One of the things that really struck me reading it this time was how, sh- like, how short of a time period, like, it takes place in. So I remember reading it, like, when I was in middle school and thinking, like, that the first part where she was at school was just, like, the boring part of the book. It's, like, get through, <laughs> get to the romantic part. And <laughs> um, it's, like, hardly any time passes at all. There's just, like, a, a winter and then she's like, I'll just skip the next 10 years. Ten years. Yeah. And then when she gets to Thorn... Um, Thornfield? Yeah, Field. yeah Thornfield. Thornfield. She's like six months she's there. Right. Like yeah. hardly any time at all. Like she lives with the Rivers for longer than she lived at Thornfield. Right. Right. And then when she goes back at the end, it's only been like a year since she ran away. <laughs> <laughs> she's still only like 18 maybe now she's 19 but it right. just like seems like there's like so much just crammed into like a year and a half of her life <laughs> and then there's also she does that with time at the end again mm-hmm. like she's like she marries him and then 10 years go by and here's what happened to everybody god bless goodbye yeah, pretty much <laughs> it's like a it's and it's kind of charming is, here um, we are yeah it's kind of charming it's like one of those victorian novel things that is kind of uh, charming is the like not being afraid to do stuff like that. Oh, yeah, it's a device. <laughs> you might you not get again. Get you away sometimes with. see those devices in you know visual media too, where it's like the movies basically are. Then they say, "Oh, skip ahead three years. Here's what everybody's doing now." Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You could have done that with a modern take on this book. You could do that at the end. Where is you know Simjin now? Where is you know? Yeah. Where are they today? Yeah, Sinjin, man, practically dead at 39. Like, that's what, yeah. that's where he ends up. I'm like, geez. That's what he wanted. And nobody seems worried about it, particularly. I did really like his sisters. And they're like, Jane, don't marry him. <laughs> <laughs> you. <laughs> He's really cold. Well, I think they were examples of you know those characters, other strong women characters mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. you know, in an era where women were not supposed to be, you know, strong in that way they were yeah that way. like the uh school mistress uh yeah. at, also is it lowood yeah also her friend helen who you know died of yeah assumption but you know she was kind of that kind of character as well besides her sickly body yeah i remember being much, i i seem i i felt like i was much more affected by it this time reading it than i was in high school <laughs> like yeah like by helen and by you know sort of the fear she has of her aunt ruining her chances at Lowood, you know, the terror of what's going to happen, you know, the mercy of the schoolmistress being kind to her. Like, I don't know. Maybe that's just a consequence of, you know, getting older and not being a high school student. But <laughs> it's that, yeah, all the emotional stuff, I just, uh, you know, I found even more affecting than I remember when I read it before. Yeah, and, like, class is the really big thing that she comes up against over and over again. It's, like, Mm -hmm. she's too good for this, 
and not good enough for this other stuff. Um, like yeah. She was, in this middle, she was like in this purgatory of class where yeah. she, you know, she couldn't be in the you know, upper class, but she could, but she, as you said, she was too good to be in the lower class. And so where does she go? <laughs> yeah. It yeah, is I, hard. Like I was last night, I was reading the part where she's like wandering around starving and no one will help her. And she's like, mm-hmm. it's right that they won't help me. They shouldn't help me. You know, of course not, because everyone's so suspicious of her because her, like, dress is nice, so they won't help her, but she's just going to, like, die on the doorstep, essentially, if they don't. And they're like, you're too fancy to teach at the school, but we also won't let you do anything else. Yeah. Jane is a very interesting mix, too, of, like, fiercely independent and, like, you know, she has these outbursts of fierce, like, insisting on herself and then, like, self-flagellation and, like, Mm -hmm. self-deprecation. Yeah, Um, I really, that really spoke to me as a teenager. Yeah. Oh, Oh, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can see how she, I mean, you can truly see how she was affected by when her uncle died and, you know, left with her aunt and the way her aunt treated her and it obviously impacted her heavily. (laughs) The whole cast of characters are so vivid. Like Bronte does a really good job of bringing in all these different people who are who are very vivid and distinct um, characters. Mrs. Reed and um, oh gosh, the the woman Rochester pretends to be engaged to. Um, Ingram is it Ingram? Yeah, yeah Ingram. Blanche. Blanche Ingram. That was a weird thing. That whole maneuver. Yeah, that is a weird maneuver. That's one of the many things that's hard to translate into, like, contemporary setting. And then Jane's like, you know, like, that was mean for you to do to Blanche. And he's like, nah. <laughs> yeah. He's, I, well, he's manipulative. Yeah. <laughs> do you think- but then I think, compared later to how Sinjin tries to manipulate her, you're yeah. like, Rochester, not that bad. <laughs> hey, well, yeah, comparatively, <laughs> that's probably why it's there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, is, is Rochester... Weird, just weird um, because of the, the time difference, you know. I, he might have been weird for his time, too. <laughs> yes. Oh, I, would th- I would think so. He's a weird <laughs> dude even then. To, I wouldn't think you'd have someone at his, we'll say, back to class, his status, having right. the kind of conversations and things that he was having with Jane, who would, someone he wouldn't usually. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the only conversation he should be having is, you know, how is studying going with Adele? And that's pretty much all the conversation they would have, but. So, yeah, so yeah. I think he, he pushed his boundaries as well. Yeah, and I guess that's why he liked her so much is that he could be really weird with her. <laughs> <laughs> it's all, that's all it's about, finding someone to be weird with. Let's <laughs> have these weird conversations. It makes me want to read, maybe read some more Victorian novels, though, because I really enjoyed, and I don't know if I enjoy it more so because of the crazy times we're in, the, like, enveloping... You just get lost in it. It's so they're so overfull with language and characters and plot um, that I felt like once you sort of get in the get in gear with it, you're just sort of lost in it. And I, I found that really nice. I was looking at kind of curious to read some other like Bronte novels. Um, most of them seem to be about governesses, from what I can figure out. The big theme of theirs, but I'm really curious now to read some of the other Bronte novels, Anne Bronte and, and uh, Emily. Emily Bronte, yeah. You know, it's weird, as much as I liked this book, I never read any of Charlotte Bronte's other books. Yeah, I haven't either yet. I mean, she only has 
couple. But yeah, yeah, I was looking at a couple of them. There's one called Shirley that she wrote after Jane Eyre. It sounded like a lot of the dialogue is in French, <laughs> which mm-hmm. might put some contemporary readers off. I was very grateful for the footnotes in my edition of Jane Eyre. I remember being struck by that in high school too. I remember being really annoyed whenever it went into French. I'd be like, "Come on!" There's but, no trans. Um, yeah, there's no translations. Oh, well, there's like a that. little bit of German, and she translates that in the text. Well, she figured She's, people spoke French. They didn't, you know, the English people of the time would have, most, most <laughs> who of the people who have been reading French? her book would have spoken French. They would right. Have, they would have the known novel French, reading. But they wouldn't set, have known yeah. German necessarily. Right. Yeah, because that works when me. it was written. I can get the gist of most of the French. I, I guess. read a little bit of French, so it was it was okay. I could follow along with what was going on, but I could see if you have you had no, you could get annoyed by that, saying, "Okay, even if you don't translate it, can you at least give me a gist somewhere." You know, someone could be asking for just a little idea of you know, afterwards what she's saying. Yeah, I'm really curious about when I was doing just a little like background reading about the Brontes. I'm really curious to read like Anne Bronte's stuff because she has that novel Agnes Grey, which the summary is sort of like. A woman becomes a governess and falls in love with a man and then falls in love with another man. <laughs> and then, But then she has The Tenant of Wildfell Hall, which sounds like it's really different. And actually, I guess after Anne Bronte died, um, part of why she hasn't had as much fame was that Charlotte Bronte didn't allow it to be republished while she was alive. So I'm really curious about that. <laughs> they had a really interesting uh, – the like the Bronte has a really interesting – life so there's like the four siblings who survived to live in the, into their 20s but there was a whole bunch of other ones that died young and their mother died young and um like in glass that's the whole basis of the book but um they created this like fantasy world that they wrote in and um Branwell is the brother, and he and Charlotte had, they were like the old, you know, older ones, and they were like in charge, and they had a way they wanted it to go, and Anne and Emily wanted to do like their characters in it, and they wouldn't let them, and so they ended up kind of going off and doing their own writing together, and none of, like hardly any of that has survived, but I wonder if those kinds of like schisms between the siblings is like kind of what survived later for her to be like, I don't want this to be published or but it's so her brother in real life ended up basically like how her mean cousin dies in the book where he like gambles and drinks the money drinks away. himself to death yeah. yeah and like the family's money too yeah their prospects well yeah not an uncommon happening in that era <laughs> no especially if the the male is kind of allowed to do what he wants because mm-hmm. he's the male <laughs> Yeah, and they all died really young. I mean, also a very common sort of things of their era, tuberculosis, and in Charlotte Bronte's case, basically childbirth. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, she was the last one of her siblings. She's like lived the longest, and she died when she was like 36. It's amazing how much they wrote, given how young they were. They were prolific. <laughs> yeah, and how little time they ultimately had. Well, it's always interesting to see how, you know, you know, it's not such a big, I see it's not a big deal at all anymore and everyone knows it, but how they had to all write under the pseudonyms, the male pseudonym names to get their right. work published. Yeah. yeah. The That's right. 
It was interesting, too, that they were all siblings in their pseudonyms as well. It's like, yeah. It's like they were brothers. They were all three brothers writing instead of three sisters. So They were all artists also. Mm-hmm. A lot of the book covers, I don't know what this one is, but it'll have their paintings on the front. I don't know, this, the, this edition I have is just some Barnes & Noble hardcover. So, I'm, Oh, I was just going to say I'm interested, too, to look at. I've been hearing things about Jean Rhys. Um, there's been a bit. I mean, Wide Sargasso Sea was really the only book of hers that had been like kept large in print right. and was still being read. And there's been a little bit of a, re- you know, um, literary renaissances have been like a cottage industry for a while. And Jean Rhys is one of the recent ones that people have been sort of looking at um, some of her earlier novels and reappreciating. But I had read about her in a book. Olivia Lang, the British journalist, did a book called. The Silent City. It's called The Silent City. And it's, she did the trip to Echo Springs, which was about writers and alcohol. And then she did The Silent City, which was about writers and loneliness. And Jean Reese is one of the um, people featured in that book. So now that I've read some Jean Reese, I almost want to go back and read it again because I didn't really appreciate it. But I'd be curious to read some of her other books. Did you read the introduction of that 10 cent paperback copy I lent you? <laughs> no, I never did. You told me not to. Yeah, because you're like, I don't want to know, you know. I wanted to be surprised by the writing style. I was curious if if she would write in a very modern novel way, and she did. Yeah, so that which introduction was it? By who? I don't Um, know. Oh, I have the book. Because the copy, the one I have, has an introduction (laughs) by Francis Wyndham. Uh, that sounds. Yep, Francis Wyndham. Okay. Yeah, because I've got the library copy, you know, so. Ah, uh, yeah. There's a new edition that has an introduction by Edwidge Danikat. Oh, really? That sounds that would, good. That would, that would be interesting. Maybe you like uh, get that. For we should buy it. Maybe we probably should. <laughs> well, we need to replace this one anyway. This one's seen better days. Yeah, it's 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 been well loved, and it's that's one of the time. <laughs> that's one of the things that uh, excites me about replacing the classics is you get all those cool introductions that put them in context and stuff. And there's so much rediscovery going on. Um, in the literary world all the time. So that introduction talks about her because that was written in like, you know, soon after the book was published in the sixties. And it talks about her earlier works that were published like in the Mm forties and how she was writing, like her style was really ahead of her time. Right. And I think the stylistic, the stuff she does, I remember being struck over and over again in wide Sargasso sea by some of the stuff she does, the atmospheric stuff she does. And, just the lines she – what she doesn't say and the lines that sort of just reverberate. Um, and she does a – she's amazing at creating that sort of sense of foreboding that's so thick in the air. Yeah, it really gives a sense of, like, the atmosphere of the place, too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think that's the key. I think a lot of that's the key in this one. I, I, well, I like the – Again, like I mentioned, I would like the conversations and the language in Jane Eyre I, that for the atmosphere and for the whole setting the scene. And without setting the scene, I mean, it's not like she, again, it's not the same way we're vividly describing what's going on, da, da, da. As you said, she's doing those impressionistic sort of swaths that just sort of gives you a hint of what's going on and how, what the world was like, what that world yeah. was like. And I, I think it, it's good that she wrote it differently anyway because I think, because obviously, England and, you know, the Caribbean are completely different places at that time, and I think it's good to have them be completely separate in that way because it makes 
reading a book set in the Caribbean that was written like someone would written a book in, you know, like Charles Dickens and right or, or right. Charlotte Bronte or somebody else would not have that power of what the, the, that place would be, would have. Right. Yeah. And there's so much, like I was thinking, like there's so much, like in the beginning of the book where she's talking about it had only been like a few years since slavery ended there. And right. there was like a lot of social problems happening like as a result of of that like big upheaval and you know like her mom was suddenly very like destitute but they lived in this like huge home they couldn't take care of anymore so they didn't have any money and it plays out through the whole thing with like you know the one character who says that he's her brother right convinces right. rochester that she's crazy the 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 racial politics in this book mm-hmm. are, i mean there's racial politics in jane eyre but the racial politics in this book are really complicated and nuanced Absolutely. and stuff because there's so many and it's so specific to that place um, and the different sort of divisions and gradations of race and who your parents are and, mm-hmm. you know, their class. And it's crazy. I, mm-hmm. you know, I struggled at times to even get my head around all the different uh, social things that were swirling around between all these characters. You think England's complicated, and then you, you yeah, that book and it's oh, England's right. easy to understand compared to that. Because like Bertha or Antoinette isn't white, but she's also not black exactly. uh, in the way that the you know the servants and stuff are. But it just and then and then again the brother uh, whose name I can't remember is in a different situation too. So it's yeah, I thought she did a really good job. Yeah, and then the in the Wide Sargasso Sea, it puts him, like, as her stepbrother. The uh, Richard Mason? Yes. Oh, yeah. I was talking about the other brother, the illegitimate oh. um, son who oh, lives right. on the other island. Or lives mm-hmm. on the, yeah. Who she says yeah. isn't her brother. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, contention about who's whose mm-hmm. brother and. Yeah. <laughs> who's whose father and. Yeah, who's related to whom and. <laughs> yeah, oh, boy. Well, I'd imagine um, that's very true to life. I'm curious, too. I want to go look at Jean Reese too, because I'm really curious about the circumstances that led her to write the book, because it sounds like her earlier novels were really different than this um, in subject and stuff. And obviously, I mean, she grew up in the Caribbean, but um, she also hadn't written in years. I mean, she hadn't published in years, 10 years, 12 years. And then this was sort of a last um, late book. So it makes me very curious. Yeah, what is, I mean, obviously she must have, obviously she must have, obviously had read Jane Eyre, but was it something yeah. that she really, is it a book that she really loved? And so she was really curious about that character, or is it just the character itself that she thought yeah. was? Is it a book that bothered her? Maybe. Yeah, yeah, that could yeah. be that. Yeah. Maybe she wanted to sort of say, well, maybe this person has been misrepresented here, and I want to, as someone who at least has some background similar since, you know, since she was, you know, born in the same area. She could relate. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, like, other, like, comparisons between the two books? Parallels between White Sargasso Sea and Jane Eyre? Yeah. I did think there was a parallel when Antoinette's in the convent mm-hmm. um, and Jane is at Lowood. They sort of start out in these, they're both kind of displaced people um, who are sent to these institutions. Um, and then ultimately things diverge, but... Uh, Right. Well, and then with Antoinette, it's like she would have been happy to stay there. Yeah. And they made her leave and right. get married. And and versus Jane, who has, you know, agency. 
yeah. backstory. A lot more agency, really. And when it has almost none. I was reading, too, that Jane Eyre was one of the first, or sometimes people say the first, book to have a really close first-person perspective. Mm. And that when it was published, like, a lot of people, like, didn't like it because of that. Well, it would be different. So, yeah, I can you can understand how, yeah. you know, someone might think, what? this is way too personal. I don't want to know what's going on in this woman's head. <laughs> yeah. Why does she think she can control what she... One atmospheric thing in Jane Eyre that I did, I mean, there's a lot of atmosphere in Jane Eyre, too. But, like, I loved the Moors, Northern England, um, her depiction of that place. Really made me want to go to the Moors. Yeah, there's a real sense in Jane Eyre of like coldness. Mm. I also think of like the house that they end up like living in. Oh. Anyways, they describe their homes as like moldering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't a lot. Like, of, I don't think doesn't, it's like there's not a lot of warmth yeah. outside of emote the emotions, I guess, of the people. Mm-hmm. There isn't a lot of warmth in the area or in the, the buildings, and, <laughs> and that's probably very true. It's a wet place, too. It's like here. A lot of things molder, you know? Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they had those old houses that were, you know, right. weatherproofing back then. Well, and it works with, you know, uh, her sisters, you know, Wuthering Heights, you know, the Moors, and the same, that same. Yeah. Thing perception of what it's like in northern England and yeah and I was thinking of like the effect I think this is some like the effect of the weather on like the atmosphere of the book and the characters mm-hmm. happen in both of the books yeah um, sure. like Rochester talks a lot about in Wide Sargasso Sea about like how it's not his fault what happened because it was just so humid <laughs> it's hot and humid and I really got to him it affected his emotions and his, his thought process. in this weather. <laughs> Has nothing to do with his father, you know, forcing him to get married because he doesn't want to split up his wealth between his two right. sons. <laughs> That's definitely true, though, that the landscapes are kind of external, emotional. <laughs> you can see that when Jane's wandering through the wilderness, too, a lot. Sure. She puts a lot, she projects a lot onto... Um, the various ravines and moors and the qualities of light and all that kind of stuff. Well, I think she does it in the house too, you know, in the manor oh, and all. It's, it, absolutely. It's the same. It's like, she's very vivid about her atmosphere, whether it's again, out, as you said, on the moors or out in the forests or in a house or any specific room, even, you know, she talks it really clearly. I mean, you get the feeling of how she feels about that room or that place just by the words she's using to describe it. Absolutely. I found in my copy of Jane Eyre um, the section I'd underlined as a teenager, which is interesting because I was like, oh, I wonder if I like noted other stuff in this book from then. I hadn't. It was just this one section. But it's like when she first gets to Thornfield and she's like she likes to go up on the roof by herself and she's just like really like yearning for something better and different than that, even though she's just only gotten there. It reminded me of... Um, in Beauty and the Beast, oh, you know, yeah. after Gaston proposes to Belle, and she like runs out singing into the field. Yeah. That's Jane Eyre on the on the roof of. I can see that. Thornfield. Have either of you watched any of the ad- film adaptations of Jane Eyre? I saw, and I I saw the one from a few years ago that Michael Fassbender was in. Mm. If that's the one I saw, I know I saw one of them too. I'm trying to remember if that's the one. 
I don't remember a ton about it. I do remember thinking like these people aren't supposed to be attractive, and yet you know <laughs> Here they are. the actors they cast to play them. It's unavoidable. This is the part where Austin makes like a Steve Buscemi joke. Oh yeah, I thought Steve Buscemi should play Rochester. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that would be an Oscar winner. <laughs> I, I, I'm not even sure what to say to that. I, 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 I'm not sure who I picture, but I certainly don't picture Steve Buscemi doing. That. I'm always picturing Steve Buscemi in different roles. I, I should be his agent. There you go. You could get a very interesting roles, I think. I haven't seen any any adaptations. Now I don't know. Do I want to? Should I? I saw sure. the one with um, Mia Wasikowska plays Jane Eyre. Came out. I can't remember what year that one came out. 2011, maybe? That sounds right. That's. I think that's the one that I watched. Yeah. I mean, it was for an adaptation, it was okay. Again, people were probably, you know, too pretty to be the people they should be but <laughs> but what are you gonna do you know it's hard to get it's hard to get actors it, to do that it was this 20 2006 miniseries that i haven't seen but the person who plays jane Eyre in that one is she plays um mrs coulter in the new his dark materials show oh yeah oh okay we're all thinking hmm what about that no no watch that one I was thinking, man, there's so much to read. I want to reread his dark materials. Yeah. When I need to, you know. We need more time. Full time reading. <laughs> the other reason I don't reread a lot either is because there's so many other things that I haven't read that I want to read. So I have yeah. to reread a lot of things. Gosh, there are so many movie adaptations of Jane Eyre. You should watch them all on your pajama vacation. There you I have go. to read. Um, I have to read my sampler picks for my pajama vacation. You can do it all. There's an Orson Welles uh, version where he plays Edward Rochester. Huh. Hmm. as oh, well. I, I don't picture it. him at all. At all. I mean, he's that definitely w- not. I don't know. I mean, he's not a handsome guy. You don't have to worry about that part. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! You know, that's what I was gonna say. Rochester Sorry to all the Orson Welles fans out there. Yeah, okay. uh, well, you know, guys, not necessarily as his looks. <laughs> but I'm thinking of, you know, there, he's always described as sort of, well, I mean, dark, dark and brooding, and you know, obviously not yeah. handsome. But, but you know, I don't see Orson Welles as dark or brooding. So no. <laughs> it's funny too. I wonder if, like. I guess I don't like look at people and be like, they're not very handsome. It seems like <laughs> like the Victorians are pretty like harsh about people's looks. Well, you know, they were always thinking about each other's physiognomy too. You know, like right. it, it said it, it, it said more than just are they attractive. It said things about their intelligence. And <laughs> yeah, like look at the bumps on his forehead. He must be very conscientious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or like when so they, like, weird. come into that you know house and she's like sleeping because she almost died and they're like no she doesn't look evil <laughs> <laughs> sounds like what they say about serial killers he's such a nice <laughs> quiet man next to live next door yeah <laughs> i can't picture him as a serial killer <laughs> that's probably why they never caught jack the ripper yeah that's right he must have had a very nice skull shape <laughs> Well, any other thoughts about, about Jane Eyre? 
for white sarcasm C. This all came about. Oh, let's let's ask the question that started this whole thing. So over the summer, Daniel and I would we had the episode about a book with a horse on the cover, and the book that I read was a romance novel um, that had like a. It reminded me a lot of Jane Eyre in like the just like the facts of the romantic story, like. She is, like, the main character is the son of, like, the son, the daughter of, like, a clergyman who's orphaned. Her, like, life depends on this, like, male cousin of hers who just wants to keep her as a servant, basically. And she convinces him, like, it would be a good idea for her to get an education. And she kind of falls into this, like, suffrage group um, while she's there because of, like, a scholarship that she gets. Anyways... And her, she has to, like, um, they have to convince these powerful men to um, change this law uh, that makes it so when women get married, they don't own, they can't own anything anymore. And therefore, wouldn't ever be able to vote because owning property at the time was Absolutely. a part of being able to vote. Anyways, so she, like, goes to his house and ends up staying there, and they meet because he falls off his horse or something. There's, like, a lot of things that are really similar. Um, and so it's like, oh, this reminds me a lot of Jane Eyre, how this romance story plays out. And Daniel had said that he'd never read Jane Eyre. And was Jane Eyre a romance? And I was like, you know, I wouldn't say so. But why don't you read it, and we can talk about it. And then... Um, so we planned this podcast and you guys came on board and he dropped out. <laughs> <laughs> so Daniel still hasn't read Jane Eyre. Yeah. Um, but what are you guys, is Jane Eyre a romance? What do you think? Not in the sense I think that we're talking about romance. <laughs> you know, I think, I think they're, well, unless you start thinking this is maybe an original romance, you know, the original romance and, or mm. you know, one of the original romances in terms of that. I mean, there's some as- definitely aspects of it that follow that, What's the word I'm looking for? The sort of playbook for make, writing a romance, you know. And again, it's got back to the Shakespearean thing again. I think about the uh, the boy finding girl, losing girl, and getting girl. You know that whole that whole thing, which has gone on for obviously centuries. But to me, I guess, and this is my own prejudice against romance, probably. But <laughs> I, and I like romantic things. I do. I really do. But romance, I don't like the the you know romant Harlequin kind of you know the Harle- the the what are the the movie the network on that shows all the movies? I guess it's the Hallmark Channel that Hallmark. shows all the yeah, it does all right. the movies that they film in like a day and a half, and you know these things. They're just these sort of in follow Toronto the, in the summer. Formulaic, formulaic. That's what I'm looking mm-hmm. for. Yes. And, I, and, I, and this, you know, I didn't feel this doesn't feel formulaic in a lot of ways. Partly, it's just the language, the exceptional writing language. I mean, the written language that she uses is obviously of its era, but it's also just. It's it's just I go back and I'll read certain passages again because it's just like she'll phrase something in such a way that it just strikes me as wow and I got to go back and look at it again and read it mm-hmm. again and it reminds I guess I, it, I feel the same way about like Pride and Prejudice too you know I don't mm-hmm. find but that Pride and Prejudice for sure is a genre of romance I don't call it, I don't feel that way though <laughs> I don't feel that way <laughs> I I feel like I mean it's got some pieces of that again but again I think a lot of it has to do with the language and the uh, ability to tell more than just the romantic story. I guess that's that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Right. I think, so I don't have like 
uh, biases against the romance genre. Um, I would say that, like, Pride and Prejudice is genre romance. I think it really set, like, Jane Austen's work really set up the genre to be, like, what it is now. And um, definitely there's, like, hundreds of authors who write romance who can't do what she did. Like, you know, there's, she's, she's great. Right. There's, a, um, there's a reason she's still being read now. <laughs> right. But there's also, like, really good contemporary romance that's being written. Too. Well, that's true uh, of any genre, isn't it? Right. I mean, oh sure. If if the writing's good enough, it sort of transcends, yeah. you know, transcends the genre. But almost Jane Austen like created the genre, right? And I think the difference between like that and Jane Eyre is like in Pride and Prejudice or like a contemporary like genre romance, the relationship, like the romantic relationship, is the real center of the book. Mm-hmm. Okay. I um, and and then I have this, um, and I don't think that's the case in Jane Eyre. I think it's definitely more of like a building, buildings roman or like coming of age story where it's just about Jane and like this other stuff is kind of peripheral to her character and, um, mm. versus like Pride and Prejudice where like the romances and there's like a couple, those are what the book about. But I think a lot of people think of Jane Eyre as the romance because it ends like when, where it's like, nah, and then we got married the end. Oh, yeah, that was the, that's the one part that I really don't like. I don't like like how they end it with that that whole recap thing and all this. It's kind of an easy ending. Mm Yeah. Which is kind of part of the Victorian thing in a way, but I also was kind of like, oh, really? After all that? (laughs) Well, that's how I felt when I read, the first time I read Stephen King's It. It's Mm. a great book. But the ending of it is terrible. It's like he couldn't come up with a better solution, so he just threw something down, and it just it ruined almost almost ruined the rest of the book. I I agree. I think I could see ways in which maybe romance, like genre romance, is not my my area of expertise. But um, uh, I could see how it. I'm still learning. I I uh, I recently picked up a a book, a romance book. What was it? Um, Cowboy Christmas Redemption, very different than Jane Eyre. Um, <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> but uh, I could see how Jane Eyre would influence romance books and romance, like conventions and movies and all that. You know, I could see how that plot might have influenced it. But, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it, it's not it's, – it has romance in it, but it's not its defining thing. It has a lot in it. It has some mystery. It's got some, you know, like you said, coming of age. It's It's just – I don't think it fits into a genre. It's itself. It's its own thing. You know what I was thinking about Jane Eyre? I was thinking a lot like, how convenient. (laughs) It is funny. And, you know, it's like the one family that she finds happen to be her cousins. And, um, (laughs) yeah, like the town that she ends up wandering off to is like where they live. How about that? Mm hmm. I think there's some other things that are sort of that way too. It seemed like a little strange, I mean, a little easily placed, we'll say, to make mm-hmm. it go along. Well, the fact that she got the the rich uncle mm-hmm. who decided to, oh, <laughs> by the way, you get the inheritance for that. Right. And then I was like, so she had two, no, so she had like the rich uncle and then right. an aunt who was the river's mom who, right. like, why didn't any of her other family who were nicer, right? Right care about her when she was a kid well they tried though the uncle tried remember but um, mrs reed 
got rid of the letter. Oh. She didn't. She didn't. That's part of the tragedy, you know, is that he tried to adopt her, um, and she didn't give her the letter until she was like on her deathbed. Um, right. It was like, are we cool now? And then she died. Um, <laughs> sorry yeah. about everything. Here, read this. <laughs> yeah. Although she wasn't sorry. She was kind of like, I still don't like you, but I should give you this letter. All right. <laughs> but I feel guilty. <laughs> she was not a good person. No, <laughs> yeah. I feel like those conveniences, though, I mean, they're part of like in the context of a Victorian novel, they're kind of they're charming and they're kind of like part of it. Sure. But it would be very hard for a contemporary novelist to do that. You know, I mean, I feel like because they would get criticized. <laughs> like, that's too neat. Like, it, you know. Yeah. Um, I can see how novel writing has changed. And um, those choices are made differently sometimes because we tolerate it in, in a novel like Jane Eyre. But we might, if, if, an, if a contemporary novelist, especially a contemporary, like, realist novelist tried to do that, you'd be like, hmm. Yeah, I and don't I also know. think, too, like, at the time in England, like, social cir- circles were much smaller. Right. And there was, like, like it was more possible for, for things like that to happen. Yeah. Well, yeah, you'd have an area some, you know, where they were where a lot of people would be related to each other mm-hmm. in one way or shape or form because it wasn't that, you know, it's not like it was London and, you know, anywhere else. And, you know, the rest of it yeah. was still pretty provincial and, you know. Small. Also, right now, like you wouldn't be like, um, I see you as a sister, my first cousin. Let's get married. Yeah, no. <laughs> there are rules against that now. <laughs> there are laws about things like that. She's like, I then we start making jokes about other parts of the, <laughs> the country. Right. <laughs> back 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 then, it's like they're just like, oh, it's so convenient. Yeah. Conveniently placed. Exactly. <laughs> Um, have you guys read other, like, it's funny, we have, like, there's a big culture of, like, fan fiction now. It's kind of seen as, like, like a silly thing. But there's a lot of, like, literary fan fiction, like, and I think, like, White Sargasso Sea is that, like, where you take a character you like from another book and you write your own book about it. Sure. Um, can you think of other books that you've read that are like that? Uh, I wrote, I... Ahab's wife. Mm. I can't think that of about Moby or... Dick. Yeah, but uh, we talked. We've talked about this before. You need to read Moby Dick. You do. It's worth your time. Uh, but yeah, no, it was, and it was the, you know, obviously it was based on his wife, and uh, and it was, it was well done because again, that's a very undeveloped character. Obviously, basically all but mentioned by name, and that's it, <laughs> or mentioned by, you know, existing, and that's it. So there's a lot more you can do with that, as opposed to some of the fan fiction where they're already taking established characters and doing something, which I think what's interesting about, that's what that's, I guess would be difficult about the White Saragossa Sea, is that, you know, the Bertha character, you don't know a lot about her other than supposedly she's mad. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you can do a whole lot of that mm-hmm. with her. I mean, the Rochester part's a little more complicated because, you know, you are, People who've read the book already know, or at least think they know, this character, and so it'd be a little more difficult to do that kind of character. And I think most of the, I'll say not necessarily bad, but not good fan fiction I've ever read or things are usually ones where they're taking the, the already well-known characters and trying just to continue them on, as opposed to doing something like what she did and taking a, a little minor piece of something and thinking, hmm, this this character interests me. How did she become the way? How did she get here? Mm-hmm. So I think, and I think that's, uh, I mean, again, in a, in a good author's hand, which in this case, obviously it was, 
uh, it works out really well. I think, unfortunately, I'm sure there's um, more of the time it's where it's not necessarily somebody who should be trying to do that, who, you know, don't have the skill to be able to pull it off. Yeah. I was thinking, and I haven't read this, but of March, is that by Geraldine Brooks? Which is yeah. About, right? I mean, like I talk about it, but I've not read it, but I think it's about, <laughs> um, you know, like the March father from Little Women. Oh, is it? Isn't it? I don't. I've never read it. I mean, I'm familiar, but yes, it is. So it's about his his time as a chaplain in the Union Army, like while he's away from the family and what they're doing during like the first half of Little Women. Hmm. Okay. I've seen. I can. This this will be an interesting take because I've read March and I liked March, but I've never read Little Women, so I don't have that. I I don't have any connection to it. Otherwise, as a book by itself, I really enjoyed March. I like Uh Geraldine Brooks a lot. I think she's a very good, you know, really good author. Um, But so yeah, so I don't have that. But I don't have that connection to. I have nothing to base it on. I think you just volunteered to read Little Women. Little Women is like my favorite book. I just know it's going to happen now. <laughs> so next time I'll we'll probably have to at some point in time. But so I'll read Moby Dick just... and you'll yeah. read Little Women. Oh, there you go. <laughs> that, that, that might be. We can discuss them and see what we think of them. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I didn't. And I think at the time when I was reading, I, I mean, I probably knew there was a loose connection, but I didn't, you know, you know, try to do anything else with it. I just enjoyed the book for itself, mm-hmm. which I could, which I could have done, I think, with White Sargasso Sea mm-hmm. too, if I'd read it, bef- you know, without any context of Jane Eyre. It's still a well-written, you know, well-written, yeah. and I would enjoy it. You just get, I can, you just get more out of it if you know the what's what's coming. <laughs> I can see how that would be a, with March and with this. I can see how that would be an appealing project for a writer. To take that to find some cre- unexplored, you know, nook of a popular book and Especially take off with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and they're both characters that like loom really large over the story, but aren't really present. Mm-hmm. Because like you know, the character of Bertha is like like the whole book and everything that happens like hinges on her existence, but sure. we don't know anything. You know, we don't know about her at all. Mm-hmm. And like in Little Women, their father is gone but they definitely you know like it's like a similar i guess it's not like the whole story like hinges on him but like you know he gets sick and their mom has to leave and that's like a huge part of what happens to everybody later neither of you guys have read little women (laughs) (laughs) sounds like we may have both been volunteers yeah (laughs) we just see it happening there's another book that just came out i think it came out last year i think I haven't read it, but I remember we bought it, and I haven't, I've seen it. It's it's called Marley, and it's based on you know Jacob Marley. Mm. So another character that's you know briefly in a you know Christmas Carol, but and it, I mean serves a big purpose in a Christmas Carol, but you still don't know totally about how he became the person he became. Is in the Muppet Christmas Carol, Marley and Marley. Don't <laughs> 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 no, <you> remember? Yeah. <laughs> It's been a while since I've seen them up at Christmas Carol. Oh, it's just about time to watch it again, I think. <laughs> <laughs> the back to light the lamp, not the rat. Light the lamp, not the rat. <laughs> Do you remember? I remember that part. <laughs> okay. So, um, any thoughts? Any final words? 
Actually, I'll just say I, I was really glad I read White Sargasso Sea because I never have. That was a, a good, a nice discovery for. Uh, I'll probably read it again sometime too because as we were talking before, we. I was reading it pretty quickly to get ready for last Tuesday <laughs> when we were going to originally record this. So I'd like to go back and read it a little bit more carefully in the, in the future. But I did love reading Jane Eyre again. I wasn't, as I said, I've had good and bad luck rereading books, and that one turned out just fine rereading. In fact, I think I liked it at least as much as I did the first time, but for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Same here. It was a real pleasure. It was a real pleasure, both books, um, rereading Jane Eyre and, and Wide Sargasso Sea. And one of the things I love about this podcast is, you know, being pushed to read something I might not have found the time to read otherwise. And I always leave these conversations, you know, with a whole slew of other things I want to read (laughs) or watch or whatever. And uh, that's always really fun. So, yeah. Yeah, and other assignments. Lots of assignments, yeah. (laughs) Muppet well, Christmas. You know. I think I think I think mine's Little Women. I think <laughs> that my, yeah. I think that became my assignment. Yeah. And if you guys want it, like uh, Daniel and I recorded a, a podcast episode in January about Little Women. We were mostly talking about the movies. He also hadn't read the book, but I talk about it a lot there. But I'm always happy to talk more about Little Women. <laughs> okay. I need to finish. I got this. I have like three copies of Little Women, and one of them is this big annotated version. It's got everything in it. You will need a recipe for pickled limes. You guys you don't know it. about pickled limes, <laughs> but it's in there. <laughs> anyway, um, so next time on the podcast, I believe Lisa will be on with me, and we're talking about YA nonfiction. And um, in the future, we have coming up, we alluded to this earlier. Um, an episode where I fill out a stamp library sampler request form and five people on library staff pick a book for me that I then read over my pajama vacation and decide who picked the best book for me. So I won't know who's who. Don't tell me. <laughs> I'm going to be anonymous. Or I think probably I'd have fun, like, figuring out who picked what, too. I think that would be part of the fun, I would think, mm-hmm. trying to say – you know, who who do you think picked this one out? I mean, some things could be more obvious, and then other ones might not be so obvious, yeah. depending on if we're really trying to trick you or if we're just trying you – know, right. it depends on your purpose. Are we trying to trick you, or are we just trying to get you the book that we think you'd like the best? Yeah, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to find me the book you think I like the best. Not trick me by, like, Chris picking a Scandinavian more, so I'll think that it's from Jennifer. I read my share of Scandinavian <laughs> more, too. So you got to remember, I am Scandinavian, so I can relate to Vulture well. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, guys, for being on the show with me today. Thank um, you. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to your shelf. Or mine. Or mine. I'm Becky. I'm Chris. I'm Austin. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. Studio time for Your Shelf or Mine is donated by KLOG, Cooking Country, and 1015 The Wave. We at the Longview Public Library thank our local stations for their ongoing support. Your Shelf or Mine jingle is written and performed by Megan McEldry from A Song for You. Find Megan on Facebook or Twitter at Meg McEldry or online at ReverbNation.com slash Megan McEldry. That's M-E-A-G-H-A-N-M-C-E-L-D-E-R-R-Y. ReverbNation.com slash Megan McEldry.
Marley and Marley.